who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Yeah, I feel like so much needs to be established before you go in. That's where I give my ex-wife a ton of credit because she was definitely right and could sense that I was just suggesting it because I thought she wanted to go. And had we like, you both have to want to go, you know, you can't be doing it as like a favor for the other person or hoping it will make someone else happy if I go to the sex party because that, oh gosh, might have got divorced even faster. You never know. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast hosted by an aspiring celesbian and celeb bisexual. Is that a thing? I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with poet and filmmaker Fatima Askar about sex parties. Uh, I don't know about you, Melody, but I have zero direct experience with this topic, yet I can't wait to get into it. I'd say I have negative experience and I can't wait to dive in. <laughs> What's negative experience? <laughs> like I couldn't. You couldn't even find the sex party? or <laughs> um, I don't even know what I meant by that. I mean, I'm so far removed from that world, but I'm very interested. Some announcements first. Thank you for everybody who joined our Patreon in the past week. You can still do it if you haven't yet. Uh, and also for people who changed over to the new tiers, we started our new exclusive uh, Facebook group and we're following people on social media. We're going to be doing live shows every uh, every other month of like Q&A, interactive type things. There are tiers where you can get uh, free tickets to our other shows that we do. And uh, I added a new tier because people seem to really like the the new tiers. And this highest one is uh, the Peggy Peabody tier. And for $100 a month, you get nothing because you're rich 
and you don't need anything. <laughs> you just need to know that you are a patron of Diking Out. You probably give so much money to NPR every month, and this is just like a fraction of it. So all of you Peggy Peabody dykes who are listening now, even if you're not a dyke, uh, Peggy Peabody is gender neutral in this instance. Yes. Uh, yes, money does not rely on gender when it comes to supporting our Patreon. For those of you who don't know, Peggy Peabody is... Played by Holland Taylor on The L Word, kind of Bette Porter's... um, Okay, good. I thought so. That's why I didn't say anything (laughs) at first, but I was racking my brain. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I know that name. We all know the name Peggy Peabody, and Mm -hmm. it is because Holland Taylor played her on The L Word, and Bette went to her to get money for her uh, gay bondage art thing that she was putting on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you know what? Our goal actually is that the Holland Taylor gives it that level. It's the least she yeah. could do. We have an extra tier, actually, we'll set up for Holland Taylor exclusively. Yes, actually, Holland Taylor should probably be above the Peggy Peabody level, um, just for all the times we flatter her on yeah. this podcast. A listener actually just uh, reached out asking if we can get her and Sarah Paulson on. It's like, you guys... Don't think I haven't tried. (laughs) (laughs) Generally, the people you reach out asking us, you know, King Princess, Holland Taylor, like, Leisha Haley... We're, we're working on it. (laughs) We've thought of it. Um, (laughs) it's, it's definitely goals. (laughs) If you know Holland Taylor and Sarah Paulson, I just imagine they're, you know, in the Hamptons right now doing crossword puzzles and, uh, discussing like philosophy or something. I don't know. Painting each other nude. I don't know. Oh, that's a better one. (laughs) (laughs) I like how my fantasies are like crossword puzzles and you're like, no, they're (laughs) being... <laughs> Guilty. Uh, so yeah, that's our Patreon. And as we mentioned, we're moving uh, the merch. We didn't have time to do it last week, but if you were looking for our enamel pins, our little pack with our temporary tattoos, pins, and stickers, you can go to etsy.com slash shop slash diking out, and that will be there. But you listeners are so awesome, and thank you for the support. It means the world. And if you don't have monies, It's free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe and to tell a friend about Diking Out. That's all free. While you are on iTunes reviewing the Pants Podcast, why don't you just zip over to Diking Out right after that and give us a five-star review? I was just looking at the reviews, and they're getting, it feels like, hundreds a day. Um, So, you know, we're we're right in the neighborhood. (laughs) Please. They don't need the reviews. I know. They have so many every day pouring in. Nobody is listening to Pants because they saw the reviews and they're like, huh, have to check that out. We all know why they're listening. They're like, I really got to support these lesbians and get the word out about them. (laughs) Yeah. You have to review Diking Out to let people who don't know about us know that it's not some type of a lesbian witch cult yet. 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 We haven't had our witch episode yet. Uh, Again, yet. That's one where I will take suggestions. (laughs) Yeah. For Are there still lesbian witches? Is this a trick question? Are they not all? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we can take take witch recommendations. 
Yeah, but like, uh, not not just your your friend who dabbled. We want like hardcore, which I want uh, them to be able to cast a spell on me through Zoom. All right. Yeah. Or at least teach me how to love the moon. Or yeah, I want them to walk in a room, about. summon my period, something like yeah. that. As if your period needs summoning. It does, though, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Oh, man. Uh, I was, yeah, well, I don't need to talk about my period, because when it comes, I won't stop talking about it. <laughs> I'll save that for when it comes, guys. Always an experience. Sounds like a Patreon episode to me. <laughs> yes. Have you done a diking out topic on periods? No, not yet. That's another one that's kind of like a a topic that's been floated out there, been talked about, but sometimes you just have to find the right guest who will uh, really be in the flow with us on that. Kill me. (laughs) I know. Sorry. (laughs) Some gay stuff happening in the news this week. One that I think uh, a lot of queers are excited about is that a, a a women's soccer team is coming to Los Angeles thanks to Natalie Portman. Uh, and I thought it was just thanks to Natalie Portman, but then I learned it was everybody, but Natalie Portman seems to, I don't know if she organized it or yeah, what the deal is, but the, the actual list of people... Jennifer Garner, Eva Longoria, uh, Jessica Chastain... Uzo, Duba, and that's all I know of so far. Um, Serena Williams and her daughter, who's two years old, are also part owners. And Uh yeah, they're coming to L.A. I was just happy to see this because I think it really justified my longstanding crush on Natalie Portman. I love her. Yeah, I have loved her for... So, I mean, ever since... What was that movie... That was before Where the Heart Is. That was kind of like her first one. Oh, my God. Thank you for reminding me about Where the Heart Is. I loved that movie and haven't thought about it in so long. What was her name in that? Like America? Yeah. Was her first name? Yeah. Because she was born in a Walmart. Or does she give birth to a baby in a Walmart? Wait, that's a whole... Is that a whole other movie? Wait, what was the... Okay, the movie I'm thinking of was a mother-daughter movie. No? Anywhere but here. Okay, and that's the one I'm thinking of. That is that the mother daughter movie? No, I thought where the heart is is a okay. We are getting okay. our <laughs> Natalie Portman origin crush stories confused. So we're going to Wikipedia. Uh, I'm going to cover where the heart is. It's a year 2000. What a big year! Uh, American romantic drama film starring Natalie. Portman, Stalker Channing, oh my God, Ashley Judd, Joan Cusack, Sally Field. This is ridiculous. No wonder I loved it so much. Uh, And and amongst those those giants of uh, white women actresses, Natalie Portman shines. Oh, okay. No, I think you were right about... Wait, no. The film follows five years in the life of Novelly Nation. So maybe her name's not America. A pregnant 17-year-old who is abandoned by her boyfriend at a Walmart in a small Oklahoma town. She secretly moves into the store where she eventually gives birth to her baby, which attracts media attention. Uh, Does she name the baby America? (laughs) Something like that. You know, I registered where the heart is as... Anywhere but here. And that's my Natalie Portman crush origin story. Anywhere but here where her mom 
is played by Susan Sarandon. I don't know how you didn't bring this up first. Um, <laughs> about like a mother daughter who don't kind of stay in the same place at once. They pick up everything and they head for oh. Beverly Hills. They're not that rich, but they move um, to Beverly yes. Hills. It's like a really nice school district. There's friction between them because she wants to go to college on the East Coast. Something like that. I remember renting that from the library a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and just all the movies that she came out with uh, after that, I don't know, just always crushing on on Natalie Portman, you know, and then, of course, when Black Swan came out and she had that uh, sex scene with Mila Kunis and knowing that uh, I was going to talk about it, I made sure to do some research and rewatch that sex scene wow. before we recorded. So, yeah, still good. Still holds <laughs> Oh, man. Why didn't I research her? I just thought we were going to talk about the soccer of it all. <laughs> oh, no, no. The gayest thing about this is my crush on Natalie gotcha. Portman. Gotcha. Yeah, not the fact that L.A. will finally... I Actually, th- this is big news because now we'll be able to know um, who who is queer in Hollywood based on who Cara Delevingne takes to uh, these soccer games. Yes. There are going to be so many celesbian dates at these soccer games. It's going to be nuts. I think Abby Wambach is also part owner cool. of this too. It it takes a village. It takes a village to get women's soccer its due. It's because uh, old white men who made a, a fortune on, I don't know, what do they make money on? Oil. They don't buy women's soccer teams. No. Or maybe they do. I don't know about who owns them. That makes me a little bit jealous about not living in L.A. Because I think there'll be once like sports and everything where it returns. That would be such a fun thing to do with with all of your queer friends is go and watch women's soccer. Uh, and we sort of have a team here in New York, but they're in New Jersey and Nothing against New Jersey. It's just a hike. But I think if anything should bring me out there, it's women's soccer. And then you brought up some other uh, very queer news to my attention that is like, duh, years in the making. Yeah. What? Are we talking about Velma? We are talking about Velma from Scooby-Doo. And I have a shirt with her on it, like a tank top that I was going to wear to the next Stonewall show. And then that never happened. But it's her with like a rainbow over it. Uh, yeah, I read an article that came out this last week on Bitch Media that she's officially gay. Like the producer of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated came out and said that this should have been um, publicly formally addressed like 10 years ago but she is intended to be a lesbian finally yes and then the director of the movie said that he tried to make her a lesbian writer and director on the movie James Gunn said that he tried to make her clearly a lesbian in the movie and the network pushed back and they kept watering it down until They had her have a boyfriend, which was Seth Green, uh, famous for being uh, assigned the boyfriend of clearly queer characters (laughs) and and shows. I think that's his niche. And I can see why. He feels harmless. (laughs) Great for representation. Stop 
you know, hiding these obviously queer characters in the closet. I'm sure there are like a lot of straight nerds who really related to Velma who are upset about this because they were probably like, you can have this aesthetic and not be queer. And then it's like, nope, sorry. That chunky turtleneck and those glasses. is The glasses. Be, yeah. yeah. And, and so we never got that with Daria. So at least we have that with Velma. Right. Though I still think that Jane was bisexual. Oh, at least. Yeah. Give us that. If they bring Dar aren't they supposed to reboot Daria or something? They were. Or it's supposed to be a movie. Yeah, I don't know, but but Jane needs to be bisexual. Bi or pan or yeah. She's yeah. queer as hell. Yes, yes. Queer, not to assign specific labels. Choose your own labels, people. <laughs> Choose your own gay adventure. Speaking of gay adventures, what's the gayest thing you did this week? Well, well, well. This last week, I won't I won't cheat this time, Carolyn. I came prepared <laughs> with an actual topic and it was easy to considering this last week was my 4-year anniversary with my girlfriend. Ooh. Ooh. Um we, you know, <laughs> as is now like a Sunday ritual went to the gay beach um and we got each other gifts. Allie has been dropping hints for the last couple months that she really wanted a cordless drill. Um, <laughs> so that's got to be the gayest thing I did. I bought a cordless drill for my girlfriend. And she wanted two things. She wanted that and she wanted an herb garden, which I feel just covers the dyke spectrum. Oh, it does. <laughs> yes. She wanted cake. She wanted a cordless drill. And she wanted an herb garden. That's that's queer culture right there um yes <laughs> or dyke culture um yeah she she's already mounting like pictures of us all over the apartment she loves it um <laughs> how big is the drill smaller than i thought you want to see it's right next to me i want to see the drill so oh okay that's that's a little bit bigger than my drill though i want one like that i want something more powerful because i have one that runs on like double A batteries and oh, it just this one has a massive battery it comes with that you that, has a charging ooh. dock and then you just click it in on the bottom. In case you weren't sure which podcast you were listening to, yeah. folks. <laughs> and then once it's all charged up, you go ahead and you mount that poster of Fun Home. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's obsessed with Fun Home. As she should be. I love it. That's another person we got to get on the podcast. Yeah, for real. Alison Bechdel. Yeah. Allie heard us bring it up recently and was like, I can't believe you didn't even bring up that we went to see it. Like It should go without <laughs> saying that we went to see Fun Home. <laughs> sure. Who has? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, but you know, living in New York, you had to go go see it in the round. But yeah, as a dyke relationship where one half is a musical theater person, <laughs> yeah, we saw <laughs> Fun Home. Yeah, <laughs> she dragged me to that one. <laughs> What's the gayest thing you did? I had a few things in mind, but I kind of don't know which one is the gayest. Again, at first I thought I had nothing, um, but now that you mentioned. Your anniversary gift to Allie, one of the things I got Cecilia was uh, the Golden Girls edition of the game of Clue. That's pretty oh, gay. That's so gay. That might be the gayest thing. And that was based on a listener recommendation, which makes it even more gay because they knew that Cecilia liked Golden Girls. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, and that and covers the LGBT spectrum, too. Yes. Um, yeah, it gets everyone. That's super gay. Oh, I also, Allie uh, is getting me a bike. 
So it just, it's just the yes. gayest year gifts. As they should be. Anniversary gifts should be very uh, overtly queer. Yeah. If you're in a queer relationship, then I know I was like, I made vegan chili. That's pretty gay. But I think the thing that made me feel the most gay this week is that we got advanced copies of Emily Danforth's upcoming novel that's coming out in the fall called Plain Bad Heroines. For those of you who don't know, Emily Danforth wrote The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which I absolutely loved when I read it. And this is her uh, first novel since then, and it is wildly different. Couldn't be more different a book than Cameron Post. And I love it. And because it's not out, I'm not going to talk too much about it. Not yet. But because we'll talk about it when we have Emily on the podcast uh, eventually. Pretty sure that's going to be happening. So on the back of the book, it describes it as the favorite meets the haunting of Hill House. And it gives me chills every time I even just read that. I... Uh, I'm famously not a big reader. I don't leave a lot of time in my life for reading. And any chance I get, I am sitting down with this book and opening up and just tearing through it. I am not a big fiction reader, but I am very excited about this one. Yeah, I was a little bit worried. The size of the book, I was like, oh, no, will I get through this in time? Uh, But I'm almost halfway through already. And again, just uh, tearing through it. And and now I'm kind of getting anxiety that the book is going to be finished and then I won't. I'll be sad about it. So I'm like, I need to slow down. Is it technically YA fiction, young adult fiction? No, it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's her first uh, adult novel. Speaking of YA, young adult fiction, The Babysitter's Club is on Netflix. I was a big Babysitter's Club fan. I read all the books. I had all the books. I still have all the books at my parents' house. Very big for me. Um, And I obviously watched it right away. Um, Binged it hard. It is so much. (laughs) It's so, it's queer. Um, It's so much better than the 1995 film. Um, They have one of the babysitters is babysitting a trans kid. Um, They've made some of the characters more colorful and mixed race. And it is fresh in my head because just before we sat down to record, Allie's niece, who is 10 years old, FaceTimed me. And she asked me what I was doing. And I was like, oh, I'm just kind of reading up on the news, uh, getting ready to record. I just like to see what's going on in the news before we record our podcast. And she made this face and kind of let out a sigh and was like, a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff. And she said it in that way because she is taught to hate um, Allie. As a 10-year-old? <laughs> yeah. Um, because her mom is Woof. the absolute worst. Allie, this is Allie's brother's child. And... He is now divorced from this woman. She is the biggest uh, Trump supporting, full of hate bigot. Like she would, she would treat me like the help the first time I met her when I went down for Christmas. Wouldn't look at me in the eye and would like be like, "Can you tell your friend um, I need her to go like do X chore?" Like she's the worst person. Um, oh and so I could tell that you know, with everything that's happening in the news right now, with and I can only imagine how it's being portrayed on Fox News, which she is glued to. She It's rubbing off on her daughter, and she's brainwashing her. And so Allie and I That's need so to sad. FaceTime with this girl 
every week, week and a half, we check in with her and just kind of try to undo everything her mom does. And um, yeah, when she said that, I was like, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Black, Black Lives Matter is a good thing. And I could hear Should her mom in the, in the background. And she walked into the room to kind of like, she crossed behind her to let her know I was there. <laughs> uh, so I had to change the subject. I was like, oh, we'll talk when you're at your dad's. Um, so I had to quickly change it to Babysitter's Club. And we obviously, she was the perfect person to talk to about that. I just spent 30 minutes talking to a 10 year old about Babysitter's Club. And I was like, you know what I love about Babysitter's Club? I just love how inclusive it is. You know what I mean? Did you love that there was a trans character? Because I know I did. Just, you know, doing everything I tried to do in the Black Lives Matter chat just kind of coded in our Babysitter's Club chat. <laughs> that's yeah. why that's fresh on the mind. Yeah. Tell her next time she watches it, she should be like, trans lives matter. Yeah. And- uh, except I don't want her mom to go off on a horrible, gross tangent. Oh, and- they had a gay pride day at their school, like an LGBT awareness day where everyone in the school was encouraged to wear purple to school. Um, she signed her out of school for the day. Uh, well, I guess now she'll be straight. Yeah. The mom will never have to worry about that. <laughs> She is Allie's carbon copy. Like they have so much in common. Every she's just a little Allie Clayton. So I, I really hope that <laughs> is you know she ends up being Allie through and through and ends up queer. We'll see. Well, you you two are doing very important work by giving her those talks. Yes, I'm unemployed. It's my only work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should get into our interview at this point, but I do want to give a disclaimer because we are recording this portion of the episode the day before the interview, and right before this interview, I am having an egg retrieval, which means I'll be uh, going under and uh, having this procedure done and then probably given some pain medication, and then I will come home, and then I will record this episode. Why are you doing that, Carolyn? Well, I thought that this thing was going to happen earlier in the week and thought it couldn't possibly happen on the one day that we have planned a recording with a guest So this should be a fun conversation. Let's get into it. Let's see what happens. Or let's get into it. (laughs) Let's go. We are diking out with poet and filmmaker Fatima Askar about sex parties. You may know her as the co-creator and writer of the Emmy-nominated series Brown Girls, and her work has been featured by NPR, Time, PBS, Teen Vogue, HuffPo. Uh, She was also on the Forbes 30 Under 30. Her poetry and other works have been widely published, and her short film, Got Game, just came out this year. So we are so thrilled that she somehow had the time to dike out with us today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, I was reading that bio and was like, I need to sleep less. I don't know. I (laughs) I sleep a lot, so, you know. (laughs) Wow, what what is the secret to being awesome? Uh (laughs) Oh, man, I I couldn't tell you. That's not, I don't know. Um, I don't think of myself that way. Um, Honestly, it's just about making, for me, what's the most important thing is always just making work that feels exciting and good to me and not really being super caught up in things like that maybe are the shiny thing, but doesn't really matter. Like um, being just more about like who, who am I making the work for and making sure that 
I'm trying my hardest to get it to those communities um, and just being kind of conscious about that. Well, so far, so great. You're doing yeah. <laughs> great at that. As a brown girl, I appreciate the work. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And yeah, I guess, I mean, we listed uh, some of your accomplishments, but uh, do you want to tell us like a little bit more your journey to going, like, were you doing uh, poetry first and then got into filmmaking or how did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, I think the kind of the the thing I felt most alive by was theater. Like I, I was, um, I really loved being in theater. And I, I really loved, um, you know, everything related to theater. And I also wrote a lot, but, but nobody read what I wrote, but I just really loved writing. And then when I was in college, I kind of started doing poetry through spoken word and, and performance. Um, and just was like, oh, I kind of think that this form has a lot of my, the, the kind of shortcomings I felt with theater, I felt like were solved in terms of, um, poetry and spoken word and I just really felt like that form really resonated with me um and then you know when I um I the first thing I kind of really wrote for screen was brown girls and that was um but that was just me being like I want to just kind of write something that I I want my friends to to see and and would be you know feels like that's what I want to make and that kind of really brought me into more working with film um you know now I direct as well and write um whereas in when I was first kind of foraying into film it was just as a writer um and you know I, I kind of think of in terms of genre I'm not a super like stickler for genre rules or for what is genre and so when people are like did you start as this or you know I, I'm like technically I think I started off as being you know writing poetry but I still actively write poetry and you know prose and um like film and TV. And I think for me, it's just kind of about figuring out what is the the thing that wants to be told and finding the best way of telling that um, versus kind of focusing like very strictly on like, I am a, like I am a poet or I am a filmmaker or something kind of just thinking about that more broadly as in terms of being like, I'm an artist. And I, I noticed that you don't uh, act in your pieces, but you say that you did theater. Is that something that you're interested in doing uh, eventually? Or are you finding more love for being behind the scenes and having that kind of perspective? Um, I'm not opposed to it. I think it would just depend on the project and, and, you know, for the right project, I'm like, yeah, I would totally be in it and stuff like that. Um, and I perform my poetry. So it's not that I, I definitely am a performer in, in terms of my artistic work, um, you know, but I also just like love collaboration and, and love, you know, working with actors and, and um, that kind of realm as well. And um, where did you grow up, by the way? I just rewatched Brown Girls today and the Chicago energy was was big. And I was wondering if you <laughs> um, grew up there or just like spent a lot of your adult life there. No, I was born in New York and then grew up in um, Massachusetts. And um, so kind of grew up a lot between New York. I have a lot of family that lives in New York and grew up between New York and Massachusetts. But then when I and I went to school in Providence um, for college. And then when I left school, it was kind of like I moved to Chicago and Chicago really became my my chosen home, like the place that I had cho- chosen to really be a, a part of. Um, and, you know, I think that it also really raised my artistic voice. Like it was a, it was a place I would not be the artist I am without being in Chicago, without having lived in Chicago. Um, 
in without this kind of community of artists and people of color and queer people who live here. Um, and so I, I feel like I have, there is a lot of big Chicago energy in that yeah. series. <laughs> um, and the kind of feeling that I have there is just that, you know, to me, that project really was and is, is about my love for that place. Um, and um, just how, you know, how good it feels to me to be here on a soul level um, and being in Chicago. So what was the inspiration? So you have, well, I think I know the inspiration, but uh, for Got Game, it's a short film. But what made you want to pick that, I guess, of all the projects that, that you could do? Um, I mean, I kind of was, when I wrote Got Game, was just thinking about, I was really just thinking about connection and thinking about, um, you know, having, um, navigating, like, what it means to be single in settings that are queer and so open in some ways, but still, and meant to be so, like, uh, open and, like, you know, you have all of these different kinds of people who are there who, you know, have different relationships to monogamy, have different relationships to gender and sexuality, you know, and there's kind of this culture of openness around, like, conversations around sex and things like that. Um, but still how sometimes like just even the quest of trying to find connection can be so deeply lonely. Like even when all of the things are in your favor or, yeah. you know, are, like the, the ways that things are talked about as being open and stuff, it's still that feeling of like, man, am I, am I going to be able to find someone who I can actually connect with? And then also I think sometimes just thinking about the ways that we, I, I was really thinking about the ways that we can slate, um, uh, sex of intimacy in that, you know, and, and being like how it feels to be at a play party or be at a, you know, sex party and be like, oh my God, this is like so open and so excited. But then sometimes feeling like, oh, you can still be in those spaces and just feel a real lack of intimacy. Um, and so the, the film, I think I wrote because I just was really curious about things like that and was just, um, really feeling that and, and, and wrote it. And I love, um, Scott Fulgrim versus the world and was thinking about animation <laughs> and, and thinking about, um, you know, the role of, of how sometimes when you're going through that, that stuff can really feel like a video game. Like you're going through and you're like, Oh, I'm at a party and I have to do this and this and right. that kind of energy really can feel that way. And, and wanting to kind of, um, you know, embody that in the, in the whole script and the whole kind of concept of the video. Yeah. That was such a fun element to it. Yeah, I I loved it. Um, what was your experience then with going to... And, and first of all, so sex parties, play parties, kink parties. Do you know like the differentiations between them? Like I know you're not a sex party expert or anything, <laughs> unless you are and you're holding out on us. No, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would be able to give you full definitions of them, but I know that there is... As far as your you understanding... Know, yeah, is that um, they're different in terms of what they are emphasizing and what yeah. kind of communities that you're bringing together and what you're bringing forward into the space. Um, and I know that like some parties are kind of hybrid parties between those different things, but I think that a lot of times those spaces are very, I mean, they have to be if they're done safely, intentional. And, um, you know, and this particular party that we were going for was to create a party in which it was... Um, you know, a party that was like a celebration of kink and um, uh, play, but was a party that was like at someone's house, you know, it was kind of more of a house party rather than going to like a dungeon or a space that was, that's, um, you know, kind of like more of a commercial or neutral space. And so that was the vibe of the film that we were going for. And like what we wanted to emphasize was like, when you kind of just like walk into a party 
and you're like, oh, this could, from the outside, it could just be a house party. And then on the inside, it's like, there is different things that are happening. Which is clearly uh, stated up front when you're like disrobing as you get into <laughs> the party or the, the characters mm-hmm. are. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sex parties, they're something that I I don't know if like they've always been this popular or they're just like hitting a uh, peak popularity. Well, not like literally right now with COVID or if it's a thing that like as you get older then all of your friends start going to these things and being like very open about it and hearing more about it and uh, just even like reading up on different parties in New York there are some places um, or some like collectives or membership clubs or whatever they call them that have events like three times a week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like any given night in New York, there's probably like 20 of these parties going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not even thinking about like the house parties that are happening too. I mean, but I think I, and again, I'm not like a historian and so I don't know, but like my kind of feeling around a lot of this is that people have been having parties that celebrate sex and queerness for as long as there has been sex and queerness. And, oh, sure. um, and that um, there, you know, there's kind of a way in which like, I'm, I'm thinking about it in terms of like representation in media. And like, to be honest, I don't think I have seen that much of it in representation or media, like at yeah. all, but the, yeah, that to me is also coming from a place of having more, like it, it's not surprising to me that that representation is happening more when there's more, queer creatives of creators of color who are, you know, telling stories because that's being like, Hey, this is also part of the world that we live in. And, you know, and kind of coming out more to like when uh, queer people of color are kind of in more positions where, you know, or in positions where like they have access to space or they have access to um, like places that this can happen. And, you know, that's not to say that, those parties are only for queer people of color, but my, in my experience, that those are the only places that, that I go, you know, that I, or the, those are the places that I would prioritize going to in my own body and my own safety is, is um, places that are like explicitly for queer people of color or center. Yeah. Queer people of color. I think that one of like the big media references or representations that a lot of us might be first exposed to, or at least a lot of people around my age is eyes wide shut. And it's just this weirdo. uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. It's just like rich people and and masks and like weird. And then there's something like unsettling about it and that it's not the way that it actually is, which is that it can almost just feel like a house party, it seems, but just this other element, just like where everybody is on the same page and there are just some ground rules going in about consent and boundaries and uh, respecting each other. And that sounds like a fun party to go to. (laughs) I'm realizing in real time, I have no idea what happens at them, how they (laughs) form, um, what an invitation looks like. I like, how do they... What's the genesis of like <laughs> a sex party? I mean, I think that they're just so they're so different um, yeah. in, in terms of who's throwing it and how. But I I agree, um, you know, with the with what Carolyn is saying. I think that that's about pers- that's about perspective. Like that, you know, it's like when you ha- and, sens- and sensationalizing. Like when you have people. Like, I, I can see how somebody would be like, oh, it's a sex party and that's salacious and sensual, like, oh my God, and kind of bad and kind of whatever. Like, that's a very stereotypical, like, American mindset on yeah. like, 
and kink and body and shit and shame. And that, that is like, so like, you know, if you're, if you're choosing to be a filmmaker that depicts a sex party and that's the kind of lens you're going at, it's like, yeah, that's the kind of dominant narrative. And so maybe it's like for that, those filmmakers or whatever, it's like those one wild night that you could do. But for so many of us who kind of are queer and in these scenes, like that's actually not what that is. Like that's a, you know, that party is a random, literally the whole premise of God game is that that could take place on any random day. Like that could, you know, we can't COVID anymore, but that, that's like a thing where it's like, you could just do that. Um, and go to a party that's like a house party that's like that. And, you know, in terms of the genesis of that, it's it's just kind of like, it, it's so different. Like if you, if again, if you're going to dungeons or spaces, they're going to have their, they're going to have a, a, you know, kind of their own vetting process that they go through. And whether that's like, you have to, um, you know, you have to agree by a set of rules to go in or, you know, there's um, certain dress code or certain things around touch and, often when you go to places, there's a walkthrough that you do with people and they explain the rules before you're even allowed to go in and you have to sign consent waivers that are about how you're going to conduct yourself in the space. Like, oh, good. and and that's not to say that, um, you know, bad things don't happen. I'm, 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 you know, sure it's really hard to create an entirely safe space when you're bringing strangers into a dungeon, but that's, um, there is definitely like, or anywhere uh, in the world. It's, yeah. I feel like no matter what, like going into Dunkin' Donuts could be unsafe. So I don't. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And like what, you know, safety, how different that is for so many different people. And, but I think that there's like these, you know, those spaces that kind of create a protocol that they follow and that they enforce and the rules of engagement that you agree to. And then there's other places that are like house parties or people. And to me, that's kind of more like, and again, everyone does it different. So there's no like code of how to do it, but it's like, you kind of are, that's more like, oh, we're going to pick a group, you know, a group of people we trust. And then all of those people can maybe invite like a friend or something, but it, those are very, in my experience, very rarely open, open spaces in terms of anybody can just come in because, sure. because of the yeah. safety of the space. The only times that I've been to places that are more open like that are was like college and that was because college is wild and no one knows the fuck they're doing and um, yeah. you know, everyone is young and just and and kind of like okay but also even in that it was still a thing of like you had to be invited to go to the party and you could bring friends or whatever but like somebody had to get an invite and you probably weren't getting it in you know, like there, there's a certain level of like, and, and I hope discernment that people are doing when they're inviting people to parties like this in order to try to maintain safety. And if you're invited to a place that doesn't have safety rules or doesn't have a conversation about consent or safety up top, like you should probably go with this. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be, you know? And another thing too, you know, having to do with consent is that you can go to these parties and and maybe not hook up like you can go there and if you're not feeling it you don't have to like um we talked about like media representations like eyes wide shut but I also think like the other way that I know at a younger age people used to joke about like key parties or swinger parties and it seemed like everybody would go to those things with the intention of okay we're all fucking tonight where these parties that I know my friends go to are a lot more it's like if you're feeling it you're feeling it if if you're not you you can go if you just want to go to make out with someone you can um if you want to do more that's cool too you know 
Right. And how quickly that can change because you can go in thinking you want something and then be in the space and be like, I don't know, and then change your mind. And I think it's that kind of ability, like like anything with consent, it's okay to go in with an intention and then change your mind. Right. And that and like respect that. And spaces that allow for you to do that, whether that's like, you know, I know I know sometimes there will be spaces where they're like, this is just like the hangout room, or like this is the space where and you could put your, you know, everybody has to be clothed here or whatever, but you can be here. And just kind of just like eat snacks and hang out. And like, you know, if you want to be there and if you want to break or if you just don't, or if you're not feeling it and having spaces that are um, like that are really great in terms of creating a vibe that you want. Yeah. An interesting thing too, with the animation that you use in your film is probably the, one of the reasons why um, I haven't been to these parties is that you don't have the uh, energy. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the the energy, but also just things like, like confidence and having that like move all over the place. Like, you know, it's a lot of feeling out these situations, a lot of uh, approaching people, possibly a lot of rejection. And then like most things in life, it's like once you feel like a little bit rejected, it's a little bit hard to get your nerve back up to get back in there. And does that take practice to learn how to, I don't know, not feel defeated? <laughs> I mean, totally. I think that that's the whole, that was like a huge reason why I made the short too, was just right. like, like I truly don't think I have game. Like I'm so awkward and I'm just like, Oh, I don't know how to talk to people. Um, and, Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> like just very, very just like, what? Um, but that, that to me is like why the whole point of the, the film is to be about that is to be like, yeah, you can be standing there and you don't know what someone feels on the inside. And so you really get to see this character's journey of going through and feeling like, okay, okay, okay. And then getting rejected a little bit and feeling really sad and, you know, and then trying to have to build that back up. And even having her rejection be a thing that she's like, oh, I don't want to, there's that girl and I really like her, but I don't want to even approach her because I feel rejected, you know, and I don't want to get my hope up. Like that's kind of what happens towards the end is like after she's been, kind of through the the game of it all and has gotten so rejected she sees this girl who's dancing by herself and she like she has a crush on her but she doesn't um want to go over and, yeah. and it, it's because she's her defensiveness is really high and she's like I don't want to feel that way and then so when the girl comes over even then she's still defensive she's like I don't know and it's through their conversation that she's able to lower her guard again, but it, but it's like in a, on a different moment, you know, if, if, um, you know, um, she hadn't come over, if the girl hadn't come over to say hi, like then Khadija would have just stayed there and wouldn't have had that connection. And yeah. so in some ways too, it's about how, um, how are we blocking our own blessings a little bit by, you know, so deeply internalizing our rejections that we're like unwilling to put ourselves out in different ways. And she's also doing rejection too, though. Like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, not only are you being rejected, you're just like, no, <laughs> as soon as people come up to you. Yeah. And it's, it's just the, the whole vibe of everybody in that party essentially wants the same thing, you know, that it's like they want yeah. some level of connection. Yeah. And, but then even then sometimes it's weird to be like, I want some level of connection and still feel like you can't say that like you know or like sure. you can't like oh if I say that I want this like when that moment when she's like I want to have sex and then all those people look at her 
And it's like, oh, because she's coming across as thirsty. But also, why is everyone else here? Like, you know, there, yeah. there's like everybody want, wants that at that particular party. And so um, that kind of feeling of just being like when when that that line of wanting to maintain your desirability and also wanting to be desired and desire people, but then not wanting to be too thirsty or too forthcoming or anything like that. Yeah, it. I mean, going into it, I just knew that it was this short film about a, a queer sex party. And I guess I didn't expect to like relate to it so much because it's not unlike experiences like going out to maybe a club or something where I don't know I just remember like being in my 20s and like a guy would come up to me and I would just be like no and then like and then also try to get in on a conversation with somebody who seemed interesting and then feeling like you can't make your get yourself in so it's yeah it's still even though like everyone is essentially going there because like they want to hook up and you have these rules and stuff but it's still all the normal complications of as you said just trying to connect yeah it felt like a normal party and I love that it like demystified the sex party for me like Mm -hmm. I do think of a dungeon in Berlin when I think of a sex party (laughs) um so yeah that can apply to just like a regular social setting and a party Okay, who's ready for a true story? When I entered my MFA program this fall, I knew I was going to have so little time for cooking. So I wanted a solution that would let me have tasty, healthy meals in a flash so that after class, I could still have time and energy to be gay. So I signed up for Factor, which ships you ready to eat meals that are chef created and dietitian approved. They're fresh, never frozen, so all you have to do is stick them in the microwave for two minutes, and then they're nice and done. Um, The weekly menu has over 35 options. The salmon entrees are always my personal favorite, but they have um, a lot of things you can choose from, options for different dietary needs like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. They also have add-ons for when you don't need an entire meal. Um, I tried some good cookies and some jerky. Uh, No prep, no mess, and And when I looked into it financially, which was one of my main concerns, it was actually less expensive than uh, takeout and honestly really close to the cost of buying ingredients at the grocery store down my block in New York City. Uh, And then I saved a lot of time. So to me, it was definitely worth it. Did I mention that the meals are also really delicious? Like I've yet to try one that I didn't like. So if that sounds good to you, I think you should give it a try too. Head to factormeals.com slash dykingout50 and use code dykingout50 to get 50% off. That's code dykingout50 at factormeals.com slash dykingout50 to get 50% off. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear. And each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. 
So be sure to tune into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. terms of like directing and production design it it was really important to me that it not be like I think I don't remember but I think in the script I kind of wrote it more as like leather dungeon-y vibes and then I was like no I kind of want it bright and I kind of want it to feel like and part of it was it was after I saw the location and I was like yeah this is dope like this kind of big space that's like you know has a pool and is like cool yeah (laughs) and stuff and just being like yeah what does it mean like you know, to kind of have this space be a little bit more fun and a little bit more bright and a little bit more like, you know, um, that kind of vibe rather than this like lusty dungeon vibe, which is not a bad vibe, but it's just, I think, a little bit more known, you know, or a little bit more seen and then just kind of having something feel a little bit more cutesy and, you know, queer, colorful. And I was like, yeah, I kind of want to go that route. Yeah, it felt like a lot more accessible. Um, Mm I appreciated that. Have you ever been to parties where it feels like straight people are there to like fetishize queer people or to test them out? I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, the thing is, I don't really go to a lot of parties with a lot of straight people in general in my life. (laughs) It's just not good for you. But, but, um, but also like I'm, I'm pansexual. And so the kind of thing is when I, like there is a different kind of relationship to um, folks of different genders that I have, but most of the bulk of my, like the parties that I have gone to that are like this are queer and centered on queer people of color I do definitely think that there is a racial component though like when I go to places and there are it's queer but there's a lot of white people like I remember very early on like one of my first kind of parties like this was going to like and I think it was just supposed to be like a naked party I don't even remember but it was in college and me and my friends went we were all a house of femmes of color and we showed up and it was a bunch of white people. And it felt like when we walked in, it felt like everybody was looking at us and it was like super uncomfortable. And it was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. And we all kind of stayed together and, you know, but there was just a way where people were interacting with us where I was like, Oh, I don't really, I don't like this. And this doesn't make me feel good because it's, it is fetishizing and it does feel sure. And kind of since then, I've mostly gone to play parties that, over everything, you know, because I've been to parties that maybe are not queer-centric, but are of color-centric, and that feels different. It's a different vibe than that party that I remember that I think was thrown by queer women, but was but was white and felt really white and felt really tough to be in, um, you know, and I think it's, it's, but I'm very like, you know, I kind of will only go to those parties if I've read the rules and really vibe with it and feel like I'm like, can, is this going to be a space where I will feel comfortable? Like where I'll feel like there are, there's not that kind of exotifying lens going on and and that we are, you know, people can just be who they are and all of their different sexualities and, and their different races and their different bodies and feel comfortable. And I don't really want to go to spaces that are not like that, you know, and I've had, I had a friend who, who's, um, a, like a white straight woman who's talking to me about this um, retreat that she had went on that was like basically like a sex retreat and it was like a week and her and her partner had went and it was just kind of like this open sex space 
And when she's talking about it, I was like, I don't think I would. That sounds so cool, but I don't think I can go to a place like that because it sounded so white and so straight. And I was like, yeah, I think maybe that would be hard for me. Um, But like, what sucks is I was like, is there like queer person of color version of that? Because that sounds really dope, you know? (laughs) Um, But I don't know, you know? Yeah, one of the parties that I looked up when I was looking at the the website in New York, it's called The Wink and it's a private members club for colorful queers, as they put it. And they write that the reason for being is that the parties that they went to were not uh, diverse and that mm-hmm. led to a lot of discomfort and totally, totally understand why that would be important and uh, like very glad that things like that exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, retreat sounds fun, but also... <laughs> does feel white but then I was like is that just because that sounds expensive (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing I was like because I was like thinking I was like what would it take to do that and then I was like huh because it's also space it's like that retreat like that that exists all like they have a space they have a resort space oh wow and so they people can go on rotation so I'm like that kind of capital I'm like yeah that's like yeah. Very white. But like, maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm like, I, you know, I would love to see, I would really, really love to see that for like people of color, queer people of color. Like, I think that having a space where you can go and celebrate your body and have a consistent space that you know you can show up in is great and would feel beautiful, you know, and, and probably be actually really could be a very healing space actually for a lot of people. Um, and so that, that, I don't know, I really hope that someone is making that space, um, you know, of like a healing space for queer people of color. That's like a a space, a a physical place that people can go to. Yeah, Yeah. me too. Yeah. I know friends of mine have gone, but I, the two friends I'm thinking of specifically are, are white and one, one is queer, one isn't. And they actually went to, um, the same party and the, one uh, one of them had been to parties before, the other one hadn't, and the one who had it had just a bad experience, but mostly I think it was because of not not, not being able to connect, I guess, like not mm-hmm. sharing, not, not being sure how to navigate that party and left kind of feeling a little bit rejected. And then the other one was telling me about hooking up with a, a hetero couple who was there and kind of being like thinking that they were going to have more of a threesome experience, but then felt like they were maybe used just to grease the wheels for this couple. And then was like left out of the final (laughs) act or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, hearing about that, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I, uh, I, but but there's so many different types of parties that it does feel like a trial and an error kind of thing. Um, it's also about thinking about intention and space. Like it's about being like, if you're like, I want this experience, who can give that? Or like, who do I feel in line? It is in alignment with what I want and how can we do that? You know? Yeah. Um, have you gone to sex parties with a partner um, I, versus mm-hmm. alone? Yeah, I've done both. Mm-hmm. And they're different. You know, they're, diff- they're definitely different experiences when you are partnered up and when you're not. Um, and, um, you know, what's kind of cool about when you go with a partner is you're like in it together. So you're like, yeah. what do you think, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And also when you're alone, though, you get to kind of just really 
do what you want. But like, you know, I think that that thing that you're saying about your friend is like, there is a, a certain kind of feeling of feeling rejected at a sex party. That is a different feeling than just feeling rejected at a party because you're like, there's a certain kind of like vulnerability and there's a certain right. kind of feeling like, man, everyone just going off and like hooking up and I'm not. And it kind of can further your alienation, which is like in part what I was really trying to get at in Got, Got Game is like that feeling when you're just like, man, everyone else, everyone. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Like I'm just alone, you know, or feeling like maybe, you know, that those kind of feelings of just being like, what does it feel like to be there um, and having to navigate that. But I think that all of that, you know, when you're stepping into a space like that, like even if it's the safest space possible, you're running the risk of all of that. Yeah. I I think too, a factor in it was that she had just uh, started being on the dating app field. I believe that's the -hmm. the one that's basically just looking to, to hook up and was cleaning up on it and was surprised at how much uh, interest that there wasn't her on this app because she didn't know what to expect going into it. So I think she attended uh, this party like pretty, pretty confident and thinking like, oh, this is going to be just like that. And then to not get any action would really be like, oh, it's me. Um, nobody wants me and go back to those kind of feelings. So yeah, I think it takes uh, a certain amount of like, self-love and like, you know, not being hard on yourself and trying not to take things personally to be able to get through those experiences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like dating apps are their whole, whole other thing. Like I don't really use them. I've only kind of like been on dating apps for like a week, like twice in my life or, you know, like two or three times. Um, just because I find them really overwhelming. And I, yeah. I um, it's that weird feeling where you can feel really celebrated one moment and then really quickly rejected and just being yeah. like, what? Like, and just trying to figure out what that looks like and, and stuff. Um, but I, but I think that that's what's so interesting is like there, you know, dating apps also really complicate the scene too, but in dating apps, your people are able to say what they want pretty quickly and pretty upfront. And so like, there is, there's a, like, hearing you turn around your friend, I'm like, yeah, I can see an element where somebody was like, oh, like, we're talking on the phone, and we're, you know, whatever, and they're seeing this photo, and we get to talk about what we want, or whatever, and then going to a party and feeling lost in that, and feeling yeah. like nobody to see you, because the focus is everywhere, and, and what that, you know, can feel like emotionally, and, and then those narratives of, am I attractive, am I, you know, am I, I thought I was, I thought I was a little baddie, but maybe I'm not, you know, all of that yeah. kind of comes in your head. And what sucks is like the second that kind of comes up and those doubts come up, it's really hard to move with confidence or with second, like, you know, cause you're just like then so shut down. And to the, there was a, I was listening to this podcast on friendship and they were talking about how um, when you're lonely, you're more likely to perceive yourself as being rejected than when you're not. And so, I, and I feel that way about, it's like that is like in a moment when you feel lonely or disconnected or rejected, you're more likely to see everything as rejection and not fully see like probably she probably missed the people who were also looking at her, you know, she probably missed like the moments where right. people were like, oh, you know, um, but maybe we're too shy to come up to her. And I think that that's such a like rejection can like just can feel that way. Yeah, that's a great point. Melody, when you brought up about going as a couple, it did remind me of when uh, not too long after I moved to New York, um, my 
ex-wife had uh, some friends and they were talking about these queer sex parties that they went to. And my ex uh, seemed like a little bit interested in them. And I kind of knew it was something that she would like. And at the time, our marriage was falling apart a little bit. So and I was like looking for ways to be a a better partner. So I was like, hey, would you want to go to one of these parties together? (laughs) And like, without missing a beat, she's like, you don't want that. Like she just knew that uh, that I I mean she assumed that I wouldn't fare well with being there and and having that experience and that really that made me really question like so many things I'm like yeah like would I be okay would I have problems would I be jealous would I overthink things because like I had a bad experience when I was in college where my girlfriend and I uh, were like fooling around with someone else and then they later cheated on me with that person and and then like the the jealousy and the trauma and the memories of yeah. of that to have that at one of those parties as a couple like I feel like you would just have to definitely be on the same same page and like communicate so much uh, ahead of time which is something that you know my yeah <laughs> ex-girlfriend and I did not do at the time we were drunk at a college party and we're, I think you have to be in a good around. place yeah. as a couple to go to a party together yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> communication has to be up and I think you have to be in a good place with yourself like you know if you're going yeah. by yourself too like I think when you're talking about those spaces, it, there's actually a tremendous amount of negotiation and communication and you cannot do that. In my opinion, I'm like, I do not feel for myself that that would be a good thing to do if I was not confident in myself and my ability to say, this is what I want and don't want. And if I was going with a partner, if we were not on solid footing, you know, because it's like, you have to check in with each other. You have to know if when you're there with a partner, you have to be able to say like, are we are we cool if you're hooking up with someone and I'm not involved? You know, are, yeah. we, are, are we, are we walking into this space and then kind of separating and coming back together and separating and coming back together? Are we just separating or are we doing this together or is it a kind of hybrid thing? And if you're not open about that, if you're not communicating, then like um, there is, it's so right that you will fight, you know, like yeah. that, going to a sex For party sure. in that condition, you will, it will cause a fight and it will not be a pretty one, you know? And I think it's like, I know some people have like talked about, like I've heard people kind of talk or like dream about going to a sex party with a partner as a way into polyamory and, or as a way into opening their relationship. And I'm like, man, I would say no, like the front on my front, you know, if that was me, I'd be like, that's not how I'm going to do that because that um, there is so much happening. And like, you don't want to be fighting at the sex party. Like, you know, it it feels, it feels bad to fight in public. That's just rude to everyone else. It's so, it's, and it makes you feel bad and it's really hard to come back from that. And just emotionally, like, I think, you know, the times that I fought publicly with partner in front of people or in any capacity, even if it was like a small disagreement have felt terrible. And I, right. I don't like that feeling. And then you amplify that by being naked and having sex with people. It's like, Oh no, no, no. Like that's not what you do there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think it's, I think it's, again, it's just really about communication in a way that's very intentional. Yeah. I feel like so much needs to be established before you go mm-hmm. in. That's where I give my ex-wife a ton of credit because she was definitely right and could sense that I was just suggesting it because I thought she wanted to go. 
And had we, like, you both have to want to go, you know, you can't be doing it as like a favor for the other person or hoping it will make someone else happy if I go to the sex party because that, oh gosh, uh, might've got divorced even faster. You never know. Yeah. And just miserable, just more, just so much trauma, you know, there's right. like the potential for so much emotional trauma to happen just by jealousy, by things like that. If you haven't talked about them or worked them out with a partner. Yeah. In the short film, the characters, they go together as friends. And as you were mentioning, some of the ones that are more at houses and stuff, it's people inviting their friends. And I think that also kind of invites its own dynamic. Like if one person's having a terrible time and might be more like needy as a friend, and that kind of plays out like a little bit in the short of like one, you know, things are finally going well. It's like, okay, we got to (laughs) go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's such an interesting thing about going to a place with friends and, and navigating that is just being like, what are the rules and when can we dip off and when can we whatever, you know, or like, can we or can we not? And what's hard is like, you just sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. And so sometimes you are at a party with a friend who then like disassociates or is having a really bad time. And it's like, you're like, I want like, I want to take care of you or I want to make sure you're okay. And then sometimes someone's just like not having fun and you're like, uh, does that mean that I can still have fun? Like, you know, you're not really sure. Um, And I think that that is such a, it's such an interesting tension of of going to those places with with friends or with each other. Um, And, you know, being like, what's the line of being beholden to someone or not, you know? Um, So, and, you know, all of that is so different and it depends on every moment at those parties, like, you know, you have to be like, there's no rule book. You have to just be so present and know you're going to do what is good for you. Like, I don't know if you all have been watching, um, I may, I may destroy you. Um, Love it. And yeah, but like, you know, that, that kind of feeling of like, even when you're at like a party or a club or a night out with your friends and being like, Oh, can I go home or can I not? And then the, the, the fear of the repercussion of what that means, you know, when you, least one or you don't and then that nervousness like all of that is just such a that's so and then like you know you see an example of one night where they did leave each other and it was great they both had great nights and had these Mm -hmm. amazing connections and then an example when they they didn't and it was terrible you know and it's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing of just of like you, you just you can't control things and and uh but you can be you can try to be as communicative as possible with your friends you know and try to just like be um you know as safe as possible you can do things a lot of play parties that I know that are kind of more in dungeon spaces you can't come intoxicated you can't Mm -hmm. come yeah I was just gonna ask about that um yeah I've heard some that are strictly sober for that reason Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely some are and then some even ones at people's houses are like that like some people who are hosting are like we don't want or or you can it's kind of a thing of like you can do some drugs but not others like you could you could be high but you can't you know you could be high on weed but you can't do like but people will get specific about literally what they think is okay and and not and that's because folks are trying to keep safe you know like people are trying to make sure like if you're hosting a party like that, you don't want anyone to get hurt. And and you're, I would assume you don't like, you know, and you're kind of just like the the way that folks carry out their rules are just so different. And, and the way, you know, I've been to parties where we, we've all sat and had really long conversations about consent before we do anything. We practice saying no to each other, you know, on set, that's what we did. 
I made everybody practicing. No, I was like every, oh, nice. every single extra and actor look at each other in the eye for, you know, they have to go to strangers and look at people and then practice saying no to each other. And it was just a thing of being like, you got, you got to try your hardest and to make people feel safe and, mm-hmm. and, and what that means and what that looks like, you know, and I'm not really, a, like there's such a crop of people who just don't care. And it's really that like fend for yourself type shit. And I'm not on that. And I think, I think that to be a responsible human, you kind of can't be on that. And to be a responsible filmmaker, you kind of can't be on that. You know, we had an intimacy coordinator for um, Got Game 2 and that budget was small and we still managed to have an intimacy coordinator. You know, That's it's awesome. like, yeah, it's about what you prioritize when you're creating spaces. That are- it's crazy to think about how long it took for intimacy coordinators to be essential yeah. to film sets. Like when you watch... Mm-hmm older movies and things and then you hear these um stories from older actresses or even younger actresses because it really wasn't that long ago about what they went through and how unsafe they felt and uh feeling violated on on set and uh, man am I glad that that's <laughs> finally starting to change it, it is but it's still so slow like you know sure. you still hear on on sets like people who felt like they were being assaulted or that they were being harassed. And you hear, like I was, I had just watched this um, movie recently that had a lot of sex in it. And I was like, Hmm, I want to like look at interview because it was so beautiful. But I was like, I I really want to look at interviews about how this, um, this was created. And if it was, you know, how they went about that process, I think I kind of come from an assumption that everybody's trying their hardest to make people feel safe. And then, when I read those interviews, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think people care. Like, I, I just don't think that, you know, and I remember yeah. my friend telling me about, I think like, I, and I haven't read these interviews, but like about blue is the warmest color and like, oh. that maybe being like not a good situation. No, no, that was the worst situation. That was, yeah. like, I got sick to my stomach reading about that. That That's one that and always sticks I Literally out yesterday was reading about this. Yeah. And you're yeah. just like, yo, really? Like, you know, and that's like a queer movie and you would have hoped that they would have not, I don't know why I think that, you know, I know that there's so much assault in queer communities and I don't mean to say that, but there's a certain kind of way where you you hope that that queer spaces are safer and then are like, oh, they're, they're sometimes just not, you know, and sometimes people just don't care and they're trying to go for the sensational thing at the expense of safety. And that to me is really tragic because I really believe that there's a way to do it where you can do it and and keep people safe and, and keep people feeling like they have agency and control over their bodies and their decision in that moment, you know? And some of that is like, you just got to be a little bit more flexible in the sense, like, for example, when we did got game and we realized that, you know, just the budget and whatever, we were going to be using a lot of extras. Like we were going to be using a lot of extras. And I was like, it is not, I cannot ask extras who are not getting paid to just like be all naked. Like, you know, like yes, I can't ask right. people to just be like, whatever. And and it has to be what they're comfortable with. And it has to be, you know, it can't, the, the scale of what we were bringing people in to do that. I was like, I just can't, I personally do not have the tools to be able to have people, um, like really doing full kink displays in this way that would be good for film, but not, but not create an environment of safety. And so in that, I switched the idea of it from being a full on sex party to being a party that was more about play and more about kink and more about like just connection, you know, and being like a a sexually charged party rather than a full on like, 
you know, aggressive sex party. And that was the thing that I did as a, as a knowledge of what I had in my, in my tool bank and what I could work on, you know, and it was, is there a way that I could have done that with extras and whatever, and, and maybe had, had made it a, a safe space for, um, like a full on like sex, sex party, maybe, but like, I was like, I, I just want to make sure people feel comfortable. And that was like the kind of priority of that and how it changed the storytelling, you know? And, but that was because I was like, yeah, like I'm not going to have people out here doing things like that. Not when I can't have rehearsal time with them, not when I can't pay them, not when I can't really have conversations with them about this. Like that doesn't feel good to me as a creator. Right. Um, you know? Yeah. And if, as a, you know, if, if you're making a low budget short film and you're able to have an intimacy coordinator and have all these considerations, I just feel like there is absolutely no excuse for that not to happen in bigger budget productions. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's probably one of the first things on the chopping block or that you really have to fight to get that. And uh, more actors are advocating for themselves and asking for that and having that in their contracts um, Mm -hmm. with, but also there's always this fear of like not wanting to be difficult. Right. Right. Not wanting to like rock the boat, which is so sad because it's like, you know, you're thinking about like, what are the, what are the, in order to like, feel like we can make things like, what are the expenses that we've had to take on our own bodies that we've had to like morph ourselves into these containers that are absurd, you know, in order to get things done when I'm like, does it really need to be that way? Like, I kind of, am like, I kind of feel like we shouldn't, like, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I don't, you know, and I think that um, all of that stuff just is, you know, it's, it's so much about even just the way that we're kind of taught to just like, you know, when we were taught to talk about sex, like I, like for, um, one of my birthday parties two years ago, we, I did a lingerie party and before the lingerie party, there was a, a BDSM workshop and I brought in a friend who is a like BDSM artist and a, you know, a performer and, she ran us through these workshops and these questions about consent that were so important. She was like, when you, what, these are often questions that people engage before they, you know, do things around playing BDSM. And they were so, I was like the level of conversation of, of, you know, that we should actually get used to of talking about our bodies before we engage in sexual activity is actually like kind of intense, you know, it, it, the questions were so great. Like they were like, I think I have them right, um, on my computer. And I just oh them. yeah. Yeah. Like they were like, okay, so these are some, it's like, have you eaten recently? What are your hard nose? What's off limits? How has your headspace been recently? How's your day been so far? Um, what do you know you like? What do you know you hate? How do you refer to your own body parts? And what words, what words do you use? What wow. pronouns are you using today? Um, are there limits within a certain act you want leaned against or even pushed, right? So being like, I kind of am into this, but I don't really know, you know? Um, and and uh, like, how do you like being addressed as in a scene? How do you like, what do you like being called? Like all of those things that are just so incredibly important in terms of thinking about um, consent and the ways that like, I'm like, you could be in a relationship for years and never had those conversations. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gonna say. Like, that's wild. Got you know, some questions like, for my wife after this. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that uh, like that is kind of 
just wild that you can, that you can really, that so many of us kind of exist in these spaces where we, um, where we like just kind of assume that this is what consent is because that's what we've, that's what we've experienced. Right. Whereas we can actually be the authors of our own understandings of consent and body. Um, the, the, the person who led the BDSM workshop is my friend Shawnee Micheline Holloway, and she's really amazing. And so if you all want to look her up too, she's really, really great. Yeah. But just thinking about like that, like, what does it mean to, what does it mean to slow down a conversation and actually have a conversation and to really talk about what feels good and what, what, is pleasure for everybody and define that together and separately, you know, um, I'm kind of really, that I think is the tip that I really want to be on is in my relationships and in my connections with people is being like, what is it mean? And it's not easy. You know, that thing is, that is not an easy thing to do, but to be that intentional about people's bodies, like, and to, to really try to honor that, like, I think is really, really important to me. Yeah. That is so comforting. And I, <laughs> I didn't even know, like, workshops like this existed or that sex parties could um, get this deep that I feel like a lot of this is being like demystified, like I said, in the moment right now and um, probably held me back from going to a lot of these types of parties through my 20s. And so I hope our listeners um, are maybe, well, obviously right now with COVID, um, (laughs) not clamoring to get to them. Yeah. With COVID, what is the future of sex parties? I've read about Zoom um, kink parties. Um, There's, um, we were talking about a lot of, you know, rules up front and, you know, establishing boundaries, but I wonder what that means for these virtual sex parties. Cause they're, you're never completely sure, you know, if you're going to be Zoom bombed or if someone is adhering to the rules and maybe someone could be recording. I'm just like really curious about the landscape right now. I don't know the future of anything with COVID. Like, yeah, you know, right. like I it's truly, I'm like, what's the future of film? Like, I don't fucking know. Oh um, yeah. I think, and I, I think, you know, with, there's so many things that's like question mark, question mark, question mark in terms of like a lot of my friends are musicians and they're like the future of live concerts. Like they're like, I don't know, you know? And I think yeah. that that's a really scary prospect. Um, and also, you know, in, within anything, there's there's the freedom to imagine something new. But I think that, you know, I think that because sometimes with like the king, with the king parties and the sex parties and things like that, it's like not just the emphasis on how do you create a space where nothing happens, but how, what are the tools and the protocols that you're using when inevitably something will happen, right? Like I think that there's probably like a, a kind of like a thing that I think we could all get better at, you know, about being like at some, you know, if hurt does happen, then what is the protocol that we have to address the hurt and to mitigate the hurt, right? Or, or to mitigate the harm. Like, how can we do that? How can we do that in a way that centers the person who was harmed that, um, you know, doesn't rely on like things like, you know, that we know are evil institutions and white supremacist institutions like calling the police or whatever. And, right. and how do we create systems that um that we can really call for greater community accountability while very much centering the person who was harmed right and so mm-hmm. I, I i don't know the answers to that like yeah. i think that that's in part a lot of times why people in terms of how they navigate sex parties will often do it with at least in my opinion like i'm like i want that to be people i know and i trust and that way if we can have conversations about what felt good what didn't and you know things like that but that to to be so open to 
people, you know, who like, I don't know if I would go on a Zoom party that was just a king party of strangers. Like, I, you know, maybe, maybe that is the future of connection. You know, maybe that is where we're going. Yeah. Um, that to me, there's nervousness about like old, you know, the, that, that feeling of like those chat roulettes and AOL chat rooms yeah. and things like that, that, oh, that can yeah. feel sticky, you know? Um, but I think that there is, I think that whatever it is, is, is both thinking about how can you create the safest space possible? And then what do you do when harm, when harm does occur? What do you do, you know, and how can we kind of reimagine different spaces like that? I guess we can end with what's something that you've learned maybe about yourself by going to these parties? I think something that I, I really have learned is that I'm actually super not when I'm at parties like that, I'm like not really interested in just like having sex for sex. It's like really about intimacy and connection to me. Like I'm interested about like feeling like I have vibes with someone and mm-hmm. having a reciprocal relationship in terms of, cause sometimes you go to parties and people are like doing road performance. And then there's this thing that happens where like people just want to get tied up, but they don't really, it's not, it doesn't feel like a very reciprocal thing. It feels very transactional about people just being like, I want to be tied and that's it. And I'm like, I'm not into things like that are that don't have some kind of reciprocity or feel like transactions. Like if something feels like a transaction, I'm like, I'm not, I I just am not into it for me personally. And I think it's like, um, you know, I I think I'm, I've learned things about how I want to talk about sex and how I want to, I have all these aspirations about being able to talk about sex really openly and being able to talk about things like consent and like those questions really openly. And I notice like when I feel like I can't and I get nervous and I feel like I can't say something, I can't ask the questions I want or I can't do things the way I want. And when I can, and, and just trying to bridge some of that, you know, trying to be like, how do I do that? And how do I make that feel like you can know the questions and still not be able to ask them? Like, how do I, and how do I do that? You know? And so I think when I go into, parties that's what I'm interested in learning and a lot of what I have learned is around things like that too great well thank you so much for this conversation I think our our listeners are gonna love it I loved it Uh, this has been very interesting uh really enjoyed your short got game where and brown girls uh where can people find your work or follow you on social media people can find I have a website with my name it's just my name and and that will lead you to a lot of my work and then on both I only have I don't have a Facebook I have Twitter and Instagram and on both I'm at Oscar the Grouch and that's <laughs> love it love it all right thank you so much thank you thank you so Melody you think you're going to a sex party anytime soon very interesting um that point she made right off the top that was yes. very, very insightful. And that last story she told really was uh, fascinating, really made me rethink sex parties. It really makes yeah. you think. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're actually doing this interview tomorrow. This is still, yes. we're now back to day before time, guys. But <laughs> I'm confident, confident. Yeah. Carolyn's still full of eggs, guys. Uh, Still the day before. (laughs) And by full of eggs, uh, less than a handful of eggs that that (laughs) my aging body is holding on to. Get them out while you're young. (laughs) If you have ovaries. For our ovary-having listeners. Yes, 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 um, yes. I know J.K. Rowling would find that language very uh, offensive and and violent, as she put it. Violent. uh, if you are a person who ovulates, 
get those eggs out early if you have the means. Um, shall we get into our listener question? I think we should. Okay. Should I be less upset at the fact that my girlfriend doesn't ever send me nudes? We've been in a healthy relationship for nine months now and super in love. I've sent plenty to her, plus videos, and she's only sent me one. When we get in the mood while sexting, she sometimes asks for pictures, and I gladly send them to her, as I'm in the mood too, of course. But it's getting to the point where we're in a standoff, and I told her I don't want to send anymore if she isn't sending anything back. I always reassure her how beautiful she is and she believes me, but when I asked about why she doesn't like to send any, I feel like I don't get a clear answer. I haven't pushed this in a while as I completely respect it and never want to corner her into doing anything that makes her uncomfortable, but I'm getting irritable. How should I go about this situation? Continue to respect her space and decision or talk about it again? I would say don't talk about it again. Uh, honestly, I don't think you're going to convince her. Yeah, I would say just drop it. And this is as somebody who does not send nudes. And I, uh, I'm happy with my body. I know that my wife finds me beautiful. It's just not me. I don't even like taking selfies. I don't want to invest the time to learn how to take a good nude or uh, self-portraiture of myself with my Android phone. Yeah, and that's a whole other Android thing. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's my excuse. Maybe she has an Android. Maybe that's why she doesn't, because she knows that it just won't flatter her the same way as an iPhone. Right. But for me, it it's just something I don't want to do. I don't want to have pictures of me transporting uh, and stored on the cloud or anything like that. It just doesn't make me feel comfortable. I'd much rather just have face-to-face nude time. That's me. What about you, Melody? We've never talked about nudes before with you. That's because I don't take them, Carolyn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the same boat. Um, Is your girlfriend a Capricorn? Yeah, that's what we are getting to. You're probably dating a Capricorn. Um, I just, uh, Allie sends them all the time. <laughs> it's like, especially obviously while we were long distance, but like she'll be at work and will just send me a random picture of her boobs. Um <laughs> I love receiving them, but I I just don't think to do it. And it's like if I were your girlfriend and you were, you know, reassuring me of how beautiful I was, I would believe you. It wouldn't make me, you know, like I don't feel unattractive to you're not not taking nudes because you don't think they're like a hot thing to do or because you don't feel good about yourself. Right. It doesn't occur to me. And that's partly because I am in a committed long-term relationship. When I was dating, people used to ask for them. And I think at the time I did enjoy receiving them. So I would put in the effort and it just, ah, that it takes so long. Um, I, I think I'm also a perfectionist. Maybe that's it. It is a Capricorn thing. <laughs> like, I would get obsessive over the lighting. Yeah. I'd be sweating eventually. Like, I yeah. I would, like, have be like, oh, God, I got to clean my room. Like, it just became a huge project. And it doesn't feel like uh, my love language, we'll say. Yeah. And, and I understand people who do like nudes and people have a, a lot of fun with nudes. That's uh, if... You know, uh, I've never really been in a relationship 
Well, I guess I've gotten them a, a couple times. Sometimes it's fun during the day, but then, uh, you know, you're you're at work and then you get one. It's like, oh, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Make sure no one saw my phone. Uh, <laughs> We're so but old. It, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I feel, like, kind of selfish because now that I think of it, I used to love getting the nudes. I would just never send yeah. them back. Um, I used to save I, them right away, too, for the Spank Bank when we were long distance. And Allie, um, you know, she sent them. I would save them. And then... I stopped saving them eventually because remember when Facebook on the app, you, I don't know if it's still like this, but you'd open the app and it would automatically fill in your most recent, like five pictures from your photo, like your camera roll. So I was like showing a coworker something on the Facebook app and immediately it's like Allie's naked body, Allie's naked body. Yeah. That's, I, I don't, it's, it's it's too stressful. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that's selfish though. I think that if, you know, if you don't mind sending nudes and she likes receiving them, then you could do that. I'm sure there are some other things that she can do, uh, that make you feel good and it doesn't have to be nudes, but I think she's made her stance clear. I wouldn't take it personally. Some people just aren't nudes people and hopefully it's not, if you're happy in all other parts of the relationship, I would say just uh, move on. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't think you change your mind on stuff like that, you know, so often. <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe ask her if there's like, maybe there's something else she could do that would be like just as fun for you. I don't know. Send some flirty, dirty texts. I don't know. Yeah, dirty texts or or like a uh, sexy voice memos. I, I like yeah. yeah, and those disappear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Carolyn. On iPhones, <laughs> do audio they? messages disappear, and you can choose to save them. But once you listen to them, they go away. Unlike oh. the text on iMessage, like the Snapchat kind of. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. No. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, well, I don't think they disappear on, on WhatsApp. Uh, <laughs> no. I, we should never talk about technology on this podcast. It <laughs> makes me feel bad. It makes me and my three eggs feel very old. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Good luck, listener. Be be kind and understanding to your non, non-nude yes. girlfriend. And, and happy almost year. Yeah. It probably is a year. I think this question came months ago because, again, uh, we do have a backlog of questions. So if you wanted to go to the top, uh, you know, either become uh, a patron or uh, if you have a specific question, go to wizio.com, W-I-S-I-O.com slash diking out. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Support us at patreon.com slash diking out. Follow us on social media at diking out on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and you can follow me at TGI Carolyn. You can follow me at Melody Kamali on all of the platforms. Carolyn, you forgot to mention one social media platform we're on, and that is TikTok. Uh, we're at... It is. Okay. We're on TikTok, and if one of you took the diking out handle, I swear to God, that that is rude. <laughs> that... 
Unless you were give keeping it, up. it warm for us. Yeah. You give it back to us, but we're at Diking Out Pod on TikTok. There is nothing on there yet, but I actually had an idea for a TikTok that I'm determined to make this week. So uh, this doesn't, inspiration for TikToks does not strike me often, uh, but it did. So we'll see. I'm going to have Melody hold me to this. <laughs> Yeah, um, two millennials are going to put their minds together. <laughs> together, they will produce one TikTok. Yes. I think uh, I was saying, because on, on Patreon, you can have these kind of reach goals. Like, oh, if we get 500 patrons, we'll do this. And the first thing that came to mind was Melody and I learning and doing a joint TikTok dance, which is far more embarrassing for me than it is for Melody. Uh <laughs> I am horrible at learning choreography. It's, I can't. I've tried the the simplest of things. It's like a movement dyslexia. I just can't follow. So you're only making this more enticing to watch then, so I'm very I guess excited. so. Okay, I think I'm going to add it. Uh, if we get 500 patrons, we will do a, a TikTok dance together, and I will stand directly behind Melody. <laughs> Nice. um, Thank you so much for diking out with us this week and dike out with us again next week. Bye bye. Bye. Be kind to one another. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler free so first time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.